Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Andy Carroll to my Dabble DK. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Do you know that I've been inundated with messages about Gloucester services over the last few days? Personally, I don't use Twitter to chat about service stations, but it's been all I've been getting since Thursday's episode. I should hope so, because service stations should be a, a big topic. And, uh, you know, speaking to a couple of people on Twitter yesterday, I think it's a feature we could add to the podcast. Not going to promise anything, and you surely will not let that happen. But if I can weasel it in at some point, then I definitely will, listeners. This is what the second tier has turned to. Right? <laughs> on the show this week, we've got Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Johnny, how's it going? Happy birthday as well. Yeah, thank you very much, boys. Thank you very much. What a way to spend a birthday. Um, and, and thanks for having me on as well. Our pleasure as always, mate. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast listener, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. What we're going to do on the show today is we're going to run through all the games in the championship. Since we've got Johnny here as well, we're going to have a brief, I emphasise brief, chat about the situation that's ongoing between Middlesbrough and Derby. If um, you are a neutral and you don't really care that much, then feel free to skip ahead to the rest of the podcast. But uh, I feel like we've got to have a chat while Johnny's here about it. Then, of course, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. Plenty of transfer bits going on as the transfer window comes to an end. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. Middlesbrough got their seventh win in nine games by beating Coventry 1-0. Tell us about the game, Johnny. It seemed fairly even. It was a really good game of football to watch if you're a neutral. Um, I thought Coventry were absolutely excellent. And there are sides who are probably very underrated in the division, to be honest. Uh, I think Mark Robbins is doing a fantastic job there. They're they're really good on the ball, really good forward runs. Um, And we had to find a different way to win a football match, and we end up doing that. Uh, Chris Wilde made a couple of changes with Piero and Balogun coming on. And then two minutes later, we went and created a chance and scored. And... We were very, very, well, I wouldn't even say we were lucky. I thought we were very safe defensively and we held on and, and like I said, found another way to win the match and another three points in the bag for the Borough. Absolutely. Andres Barrar got the goal and bloody yes. hell, Borough fans love him, don't they? All I see is Slovenian yeah. flags on Twitter all over the place nowadays. Tell us why supporters love him so much. Um, Probably because of the chant mainly, I think. It, firstly, it's an absolute <laughs> banger. I think it's always in your head, isn't it? Uh, he's Slovenian, he's only on loan for a season. Um, but never know, I hope it, hope it, get, it gets extended. Um, but I think, the, I think the fee we're after him, I think it was, what, eight million, which I don't think we'll probably look to pay unless we got promoted. Um, but off the ball movement, brilliant. Absolutely, per- it's perfect. It's another level um, for the championship. And... His technical ability is superb, but 
his finishing is kind of, it's weird because he has all the attributes to be a sensational footballer, but his finishing's not the best. And I think that's kind of when you look at Marcus Tavernier and you see that his XG or was it sorry, his exec his XA is like down way at the bottom because he's not finishing the chances, it's probably that's kind of that's that's the slight frustration, but overall a very, very, very good footballer. Um and I think we're very fortunate to have him. Mm, let's take a, bit, a step back from the situation and look at how Borough are doing under Chris Wilder. And he yes. is doing a stunning job, isn't he? When you compare to how Borough were doing under Warnock earlier in the season, mm. it is like a completely different side, isn't it? Oh, mate, massively, yeah. I remember like, the last time I was on this on this podcast and I was saying for Warnock to leave and... It, it was it was blatantly obvious that he wasn't getting the best out of the squad. And with Wilder coming in, he's quickly identified that his style suits to what we currently have. But then also on top of that, you've got you've just got that ability to kind of man this ability to man manage this side and to get the best out of them has been perfect. And you know, seven wins out of I think it's seven or eight wins out of eleven now, he's just got us playing from the it's just it's just amazing to watch to be honest it's such a relief to see us winning football football games again and to keep the ball on the floor as well which is a massive bonus so <laughs> um which we didn't do under under neil warnock yeah you were horny for warning before what are you now are you well hilariously Wilder? well hilariously i've got a mug right now where it's got neil warnock with tits on it so <laughs> 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 so um i'm currently drinking coffee on that yeah so <laughs> <laughs> it's quite good, isn't it? It's good. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I call from now. Like, what? Where would you take? Uh, no, maybe, yeah, that's fine. I maybe like understand. A, yeah, like the, maybe wet for a while. The shagos Chris or something like that. You know, <laughs> on the piss for Chris. Uh, there's there's just the so many hashtags. Oh, yeah, there's so many hash, hashtags going around, isn't there? Uh, we're on I the like piss for one. Chris. I think we'll go with that one. And uh, yeah. To be fair, man, I absolutely love him. Like, he's so he's such a good manager, straight talking, and uh, I've changed my tune. I think we're going to be in there on the playoffs. I think for sure. Yeah, I think that's looking a very good bet at the moment, isn't it? Quick word on Coventry, Justin. Same old narrative with them, isn't it? They always create a lot of chances, and they either have games where those chances go in or just don't go in at all. And this was the latter here, wasn't it? Yeah, you look at um, the players that Middlesbrough had to call upon to come on. Balogun came on, provided the assist for Sparrow. You think if Coventry had the same quality, the game could have swung in their favour as well. It's not a criticism of the players that Coventry have got, but you can see the difference in um, in, in ability um, between the two sides. And uh, as Johnny was saying, Borough had to find a way to win against this Coventry side, which is a, a really big sort of compliment for, for Coventry and, and how they play. And, um yeah, the football that they played and, and the chances they created against a really good side in, in Borough um, could have taken something away from it, what it wasn't to be. Hmm. Let's talk Middlesbrough and Derby then, Johnny. It's all got a bit toxic between the two clubs, and behind the scenes and then also with the fan bases as well. Um, as a Borough fan, we haven't had a Borough perspective on the show since this all really hmm. turned up a notch. What do you think of everything that's going on? I think it's sad. I think uh, this whole situation that Derby find themselves in is is sad this is kind of like it's essentially Mel Morris's fault the reason why you're probably in this mess I think the amount of debt that you've got at the moment highest in EFL history this arbitration with Gibson that's been going on for 12 months with the EFL and with Mel Morris as well and it's kind of just spiraled really I feel like 
the hit on Gibson is kind of the and should be the very very tip of the iceberg of what's kind of going on at Derby. I think on a on a Bora perspective, I think no one wants Derby to to get liquidated at all. If anything, you want them. You still want a club. You never want a club to get liquidated, and I feel like that's kind of across the board. I don't think anyone wants that. Um, but in terms of like, if, if anyone wanted to play the blame game, I think you'd be looking at Mel Morris. Probably, it's a difficult place to be in for, for Derby for sure. Um, but the 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 blame for Gibson is kind of a bit mm, like he's got a claim. It's not getting swept away, so he definitely has a right to probably be compensated to some extent. Um, and that's kind of where it is, really. I, the, the whole fan thing, though, is a bit strange, to be honest. I, I don't really understand that. And for Derby fans, say if they come at the Riverside and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to cause chaos. Well, you're just adding on another layer of fines to something that you can't already pay. So it's like, well, what's the whole point in that? <laughs> there, there is none. <laughs> so I don't get it, really. I don't get it. But there's a lot going on, isn't there, at Derby? And it's sad, but hopefully it gets resolved, to be honest. I just hope it gets resolved. Yeah, I think that Derby Middlesbrough game next month has probably come at the worst possible time, and in terms of the height of tensions between the two clubs, I do agree with you. And this is kind of the point I was making in was it last week's episode? I can't remember when I made the point that I think the majority of Derby fans acknowledge that Mel Morris is to blame, but mm. we're past that now, and Derby fans, there's no point going on and protesting against Mel Morris because he's not at the club anymore, and just protesting against him won't make, it make any difference. But in, from my perspective, Steve Gibson is probably deserving of less than 1% of the blame, but still deserves a bit of blame. Um, going back to the legal claims, there have been yeah. calls for Gibson to obviously scrap them, essentially, um, m- mainly because of how Derby are potentially going out of business if these claims are still withstanding. From a borough's perspective, what do you think of that? This, this has been going on for 12 months, this arbitration claim. This could have been resolved months ago. Mel Morris could have spoke to Gibson about it. The EFL could have sorted a, an independent claim out a lot sooner than what it is. The reason why it's not going away is because Gibson's claim is valid. Um, and it's it's valid by law, which is kind of why he's chasing it. Like if he didn't have a claim, he wouldn't be going he wouldn't be going for it. And, and that's kind of a that's that's probably the frustrating point for everyone, really, because since his valid is claim, he's he's obviously going to go for it. He's not going to like lose out on those financial claims, and like I can see the frustrations on that point. But at the end of the day, it kind of goes back to the Mel Morris because he radically had managed Derby to a place where it affected Middlesbrough, and then it's affected Wickham. But then also, if we win that, and if Gibson wins that, sorry, and Wickham win that you could probably argue like another 20 clubs could come forward and be like, well, actually, we've lost against Derby that season. so And that's affected our pay packet for like one position or something like that. So then you could have a load of different clubs come after it as well, which is quite scary to think about it. So like on one side, you could say, well, Gibson should maybe move away because it's going to affect another 20, another 20 clubs could come in. But then also if on the flip side, you're like thinking, well, our position in the league that year was messed up because of Derby and we lost our financial restrictions and he's got that claim to kind of do it but if it, it, should he should he remove his claim for me it's, it's kind of not my place to say but like if, if if Gibson has the claim it's still valid then it's kind of like well you have no room to to kind of take it away can you really go on Justin yeah just a really interesting point to add to that and and, and Johnny sort of 
mentioned sort of the points where I, I think the way the claim should be thrown out by an arbitration panel. I think Gibson has a right to the claims. I, I understand them to a point. I don't agree with them um, because of what Johnny was saying. A, a lot of clubs can then come forward and say, this is going to impact such and such as well as this. I think Aston Villa, obviously, they they went up uh, that season mm. that Gibson's claiming against. They beat Borough twice that season. They obviously were going to fall foul of FFP before um, uh, before they were promoted. So the, the claims are as valid against Aston Villa as they are against Derby. Um, so this is where it, it should be going to an arbitration panel and this is where it should be squashed, in my opinion. And this is where the EFL should step up and say anything like this. This is not a... Um, this is not a football creditor sort of claim. Any any financials like this you know, don't impact a football club in Derby situation. And as well as that, the EFL should also put their foot down. As, and like Johnny was saying, they should have squashed this 12 months ago. They should have taken it to a panel 12 months ago. It all could have been avoidable and it all could have simmered down a lot sooner than this. It didn't. Um, and there's a lot of finger pointing at the moment. But hopefully, as Johnny said, there's going to be a resolution in the next week or so. Yeah, I'm still very much of the opinion that I don't think these claims will be successful. I've seen, obviously, there's been national media outlets recently, haven't they, saying similar things and they're just completely neutral. Um, but that's not for us to decide. It's for important legal people to decide. Isn't it? And it looks like it will be decided on next week. And from reports I've seen, it could very well be thrown out. And yeah. that would be obviously great news for Derby as a club. Um, just finally then johnny um obviously this kind of thing has turned so sour between the two clubs from a borough perspective would you like to kind of see things simmer down and everyone be a bit more friendly and happy and just <laughs> living in this society where everyone can just get along and be happy uh watch as watch as green street once becomes an ultra or something like that that's kind of what it's like isn't it at the moment um it's look, it's diff- look, it's it's a thing that's been spiraled by the media, obviously, to kind of heighten things and make things really difficult. Um, there's always going to be a select few that are going to still have that hate point and point blame game and stuff like that. And I look for me, I I have like no like opinion or hate or anything. I'm very very laid back on that front. I don't really give a shit to be honest about like the the aggro. Um, but it's it should just be a, a case of look, we'll go and watch a football match. End of the day, you might hate each other for ninety minutes, but it's it should be just done and dusted, swept under the rug. But in terms of like the the takeover and stuff, hopefully it gets it gets done and dusted. But as as a board perspective, I'm personally not that bothered. You guys probably shouldn't be that bothered. End of the day, this whole scenario should probably get resolved soon, and it should get resolved quick, very fairly quickly, and we can kind of move on from it. To be honest. Thank you, Johnny. For now, we'll come back to you later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Right now, me and Justin, we're going to go around the grounds and we'll begin things at the Den, where West Brom were beaten 2-0 away at Millwall. It's led to even louder calls from Albion fans for Valerie and Ishmael to go. Louis Bent is from the Baggies podcast. Louis, this was a shocking result again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, dreadful yet again. Uh, another poor performance. Preston in the week was was a real low for me personally as an Albion fan, you know. Uh, I don't think I've seen a, a poor, as bad of a performance uh, as we did as Preston for some years now, and, and, and this game against um, Millwall was 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 virtually the same performance, cut and pasted, just uh, just away from home rather than at home, which um, 
you know, I feel really sorry for all the Albion fans that, that travelled that way to, to to just receive that that dire performance yet again. And I mean, you know, there was no heart or desire from the players, and there was no change in tactical setup or, or tactical ideas from Valerian Ishmael. And yeah, it was just a real shame to to see that again. And yeah, I was I was bored out of my mind at the Hawthorns on on Wednesday evening, and uh, I was certainly uh, just the same watching that game against Millwall. It was it was dreadful again. Yeah, it's just five points from seven games now for West Brom. Do you think Valerie Ishmael's days are numbered? I think his days are probably numbered, to be honest. Uh, I wanted to see a long-term plan. I wanted to see something different at the Hawthorns. I wanted to see high-pressing football, and that's what we got for about five games. And now things have dramatically changed and dramatically decreased in, in intensity. And it's a shame that I have to kind of... Um, kind of say that because I wanted it to work and I wanted things to, to pan out for him and I wanted to be able to give him time but as you said there um, I think five points in seven games is, is really not good enough um, you know the defence has been improved under him I will say that but the attack has got even worse it's just hopeful football you kind of lump the ball long and, and you hope that it falls to one of your players Andy Carroll was, was a better focal point than we've had for most of the season to be honest but you know, still it just becomes hopeful football and, you know, he hasn't changed the tactics at all. He hasn't made things better. Um, and for me, I think that he's, he's he's caused his own downfall really by continuing to play the same football and hoping for better, hoping for different results, which just isn't going to happen. Yeah, and Lurie, what do you think the chances are right now of West Brom not even finishing in the playoffs, which at the start of the season would have been unthinkable, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me that at the start of the season, you know, when I first came on the show after that Bournemouth game, after watching, you know, the the, the fantastic pressing performance that I watched, I'd have probably, I'd have, I'd have really laughed if you'd, if you'd have asked me that. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely a chance of us dropping out the playoffs, unfortunately, because I think as long as he continues with this tactical setup, he continues with the same rigid mindset. I feel like that's gonna that's gonna happen, and as long as the players don't keep playing for him, I think that's. You know, playoffs dropping out the playoffs is a possibility, and it's definitely a, a becoming a reality as these performances continue to drone on. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 going to happen if if things continue in this manner. I mean, if he changes the tactics and changes things, uh, then that might might change, and we might keep ourselves in in that in the playoffs or the top six. But yeah, I don't think that he's going to change them. So yeah, I can certainly see us dropping out the top six, and it's a it's a real shame to have to say that. Thank you, Louis. Yeah, for the second time in a matter of days, Justin, West Brom beaten by a mid-table side. But more concerning is the matter in which it happens because Millwall were barely troubled, were they? Similarly to the Preston defeat in midweek, two bang average performances from the Albion. It, they really were. And I think bang average is, is saying something. It's almost too kind. Um, they really were dreadful um there's no other way to to say it really um i think if you look at fulham for example and to an extent blackburn both of them have been very very ruthless blackburn probably more so defensively of late fulham scoring goals uh now west brom haven't been anywhere near that level since early to mid-october now if we're saying this about um a team that is hoping for automatics at what point do you say automatics or a no and at this point, on the current reform, at what point do you say they might drop out of the playoffs? Because there are better teams than them at the moment. And it's really hard to see where they're going. And it's yeah, run of, a run of poor form. Players have dropped way below a standard that is acceptable for a team wanting to get into a top, break into a top four um, uh, in the league. It really isn't good. And you do worry for West Brom's season. It's fizzling out quickly. Well, they've gone from a side missing loads of chances, great chances of that, to 
barely creating anything in the last couple of games, have they? And that, for me, is when it's a problem. I mean, let's be honest, they've picked up five points from a possible 21 in the last seven games. If they were playing well, then maybe I'd have a bit of sympathy, but they haven't. And that's why I think West Brom's season is in serious danger of fizzling out. And that's also why I struggled to see Valerie and Ishmael surviving this, Justin. Yeah, I think a really good example to make actually is, uh, or a few examples is, is West Brom have a really bad habit of making bad decisions. For example, the Darren Moore timing, um, the sacking of Darren Moore, that is four games before the end of the season when West Brom are fairly in the playoffs. And then they just allow the playoffs just to, it just felt like they just wanted to get them out, out of the way so they can focus on the next season rather than committing to either one or the other. Um, and then the Pardew appointment, the time they gave him Allardyce to an extent, Billich being sacked as well. It just seems like decisions at the very top aren't... <laughs> they're not done with a lot of thinking behind them. Um, and that is where West Brom are going wrong in, in this this next um, predicament they're in. Whether they stick with Ishmael or, or sack him, the decision, this decision needs to be made very quickly. Well, I think some people who don't watch the Championship as often as we do may look at Ishmael if he does get sacked and say well, that's a bit harsh they're still in the playoffs at the time of recording um, but the reality of the situation is how many times have, had, have they had a game where you've gone wow they were really good there it's you can probably count yeah. it on one hand really can't you mm-hmm. they have barely had very very good performances so that's why I, I I don't think it would be a massive shock if Ishmael does get sacked and as you quite rightly point out they've sacked managers for a lot less in the past haven't they I wanted to make a quick point on the meltdown that's happening in the West Brom fan base at the moment Justin I could understand fans being upset with Ishmael and what have you he has got to the point where he definitely should be sacked but I've seen West Brom fans saying things like, oh, we want our club back. There was a banner tied to the gates at the Hawthorns. The game on Saturday was stopped twice because of things thrown onto the pitch as West Brom fans were just losing their minds. I mean, read the room, guys. You've got every right to be unhappy about your owners, but it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? Since, Since Lai took over... They've been in the Premier League or fighting for promotion every season, haven't they? They've spent forty million last season. They've just spent eight million on a striker, and then elsewhere you've got Derby fans wondering whether they'll have a club to support in a month's time. Birmingham fans who have been in a relegation battle for the past four or five seasons without knowing who's actually running the club, and then you've got Reading fans who are actually watching their club fall apart in front of their very eyes because of reckless and unsustainable spending from years gone by. So, I think some West Brom, fa- West Brom fans just need to take a break. Have a breather and get a grip because it's a bit over the top, to say the very least. Um, But Justin, let's talk Millwall because they lost three games on the bounce heading into this. So may have expected another one here, but fair play to Gary Rowett. And he just seems to stay above the line, doesn't he? Where he's not having serious questions about his job because whenever it gets to that stage, he pulls out a good win like this. And it's very strange. It's the guy at school that does the bare minimum, isn't he? Um, it just, just gets away with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think not to take any way, anything away from the forts or, or, or our, um, they were really good. They kept it very solid um, in the first half. It was there was well, there's barely any chance in the first half, and then the second half, you felt Millwall grew in confidence. They had the better chances, and they made West Brom look second best to everything. You look at that first goal, for example. The header across the box, Mason Bennett alive to the to the loose ball, putting it in. Really, really good. And then Benny Kofobe's goal. Benny Kofobe's goal was brilliant, by the way. Really good. Really, really good. Um, 
and that's that's the ceiling they can hit sometimes. And then you look at the midweek game or the other game before that, and then and they drop. That's the frustration with Millwall. Um, but yeah, they they were really good here. They were solid. They were clinical. It was a really good performance. Um, it's just annoying that they don't do it consistently enough because if they did, they'd be a top six team easily. Well, they get a good win, don't they? And then they follow up with five draws on the bounce. Yeah. <laughs> You're ultimately not going to get in the playoffs if you draw that many games. So, yeah, that, that's the frustration with Millwall. And um, I, I think there's a longer chat to have there about that. But uh, nonetheless, Christian Bielik has missed the last 12 months through injury. But he marked his return for Derby by scoring a 95th minute overhead kick to equalise against Birmingham. 2-2 it finished. I mean, it's Roy of the Rovers stuff, Justin. This kind of thing, you just cannot... If you had a scriptwriter doing this, you'd say, that's a bit lazy, mate, but it's just amazing. It is. It's bonkers. And the, the worst thing is, he looked like he picked up an injury as well. So I was celebrating, but I was celebrating by... I kept one eye on the corner because Bielik was holding his shoulder or it, I was... You know, God forbid, like I was watching the replays, making sure he hadn't landed on his knee. Um, you know, just want to protect little baby Bielik as much as I possibly can because he can be the difference between Derby staying up or going down. He really could, and it was the difference between um, zero points and a point today. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite this quite the story. Considering that Derby did not deserve anything from that game, um, it was quite incredible for them to come away with uh, a point and, and two brilliant goals. Well, you say Derby don't deserve anything from game. I thought Derby had the better chances, but Birmingham were the better team and were playing the better football, which is not something you can say very often about a Lee Bowie <laughs> side of playing the better football. But it was a strange game in that sense. But of course, Bielik getting the equaliser. I, I thought his introduction made Derby look instantly better. And his return will be massive, won't it? Providing he's not injured again after scoring that equaliser. But if he is fit, he will be so, so, so big a player for Derby. Oh, absolutely! You've only got to look at last season as a as a really good example that you know it was a very small data pool. But while he was in the team, they were looking like a team going for the top half, not fighting relegation. Then he got injured, and form literally fell off a cliff. Um, I think they won two games, not, not two or three games. They, they didn't. Oh yeah, they didn't actually fall off a cliff. <laughs> it wasn't a real cliff, but you know, okay, metaphorically, the form nosedived um, vertically, very far down. Um, I think they won two or three games after that. And uh, he got injured um, 30th of January last year. So he's, he's literally marked his year return with with a goal. So it just goes to show how influential he can be. And if he's fit and firing, and as I say, Derby could stay up with him in the team quite easily. Well, I think Derby were doing a good job of staying up without him. But him, exactly. it's like a new signing, isn't it? It's such a cliche, but it is. <laughs> because he is a Premier League player. He was so good for them in last season before he got injured. Because he just oozes class, doesn't he? He's everything you want in a holding midfielder, but he's so good. We saw it here with this overhead kick. And if he is fit for the rest of the season, then he'll be a massive, massive boost for Derby. I can't oversell it enough how big a boost he'll be. Um, quick word on on Birmingham, Justin. Obviously, when you drop a two-goal lead, mm-hmm. it's very disappointing. But if you're a Birmingham fan, considering your form's not been great heading into this, probably would have taken a point at this game, wouldn't you? I mean, maybe going in before it, you take a point, but you tune it up, and, and Birmingham, were in, in my opinion, Birmingham, Birmingham were in control for ninety, well, sorry, eighty minutes. Um, the front three were brilliant in shutting down the, the playing out from the back. Um, Hogan and um, Hogan and uh, the other forward, completely. Lyle Taylor, Logan, yeah, Lyle Taylor um, did a really good job of, of closing down the centre halves, and Hernandez, along with that front three, 
was marking Bird, so Derby had no outlet. Um, they were really, really good, controlled the game. When Lyle Taylor came off, Birmingham stopped playing hard with the pitch. They dropped back, invited pressure. A lot of mistakes were made at the back. Um, if they don't collapse at, uh, defensively, they get something out of that game easily. Uh, three points. Um, that's what's let them down. They they dropped too far back and Derby got back into it. Yeah, I thought Lyle Taylor was really good. For He's brilliant. Yeah. It, it was his first game since signing from Forest, but it was a, a nuisance all afternoon for Derby, just Derby's defence. But he was really good. That was a really bright start for him. And overall, I thought it was a decent performance for 80 minutes of the game from Birmingham. So definitely positives after a disappointing couple of results. Fulham 1, Blackpool 1. We'll start off by saying our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Paul Parrish. It's after this game was temporarily stopped because of a medical emergency in the crowd. A fan suffered a cardiac arrest and was taken to hospital, but Paul passed away on Saturday evening. So we send our condolences to his loved ones. On the game, Justin... When Mitrovic scored after six minutes, I assumed this would be a straightforward afternoon for Fulham, but ended up not being that really, did it? Fulham missed a lot of good chances and had it not been for the post and some heroics from Daniel Grimshaw, they would have easily taken all three points here. But all you can say is hats off to Blackpool and Neil Critchley for a marvellous result. Yeah, a really good result. And, and you can say good performance as well. Fulham are always going to create chances. They're liquid, aren't they? Um, in the final third they're, they're brilliant um, but Blackpool managed the second half a lot better than they managed the first half I don't think Fulham had a shot on target in the second half and obviously they, they were able to capitalise that, on that with with the goal but um, I think it's just one of them games that doesn't quite happen for you in front of goal you know you look at the amount of times Fulham hit the woodwork for example really unfortunate and Grimshaw like Maxwell was in, in, the, in the reverse fixture um, at Bloomfield Road Really, really good goalkeeping again. It was just one of those days that didn't quite go Fulham's way in front of goal. Yeah, I completely agree. Harry Wilson nearly scored goal of the decade. Oh, yeah. Plucking <laughs> the ball out of the air. Yeah, plucking the ball out of the air before trying to lob it over Daniel Grimshaw. But it just missed. But if that went in, then wow. Um, but Blackpool, four points against Fulham this season. I'm, I haven't got it in front of me, but I can't think of anyone else who's managed to pick up that many points against Fulham across the course of the season but they're absolutely great I thought Josh Bowler in particular was absolutely exceptional and he has been linked with a move to Fulham and also Bournemouth but he was a real live wire for Blackpool all game got the got the equaliser here he was just absolutely class and causing problems for them all afternoon and I think eventually he will end up going to a top club and I think while Blackpool have, Blackpool have got him, I think the fans have just got to enjoy him while they can, can't they? Yeah, you're quite right. Um, I'm not surprised to see him linked. Obviously, there was rejected bids from Forrest earlier on in the window. No, there's probably, I say there's probably, I think there's about three, three or four clubs in for him now. Um, and it's no surprise because with the ball at his feet, his ability is incredible. Um, arguably one of the best in division dribbling. Dribbling-wise, it's just making sure those numbers increase um, both assists and goals. And that will come. He's, I think he's 22, 23. So he's not young, but he's he's not young, young, but he's young. Um, he's young enough to still develop, which is, you know, where the value lies. So, yeah, he's, he's a great player. And, yeah, Blackpool got to enjoy him while he can because, you know, clubs are going to be in for him. He's, he's a talent. Absolutely electric. And he's the kind of player as a fan that you love to see on the ball because you oh, just yeah. know he can make stuff happen when he is on the ball. Um, also, Blackpool fans, brilliant throughout this game. They were just constantly making noise because they, I think they sensed 
like they were going to get something from this game. But uh, every time I've seen Blackpool away, the fans have always been really, really good. So uh, massive hats off to them. A brace from Lyndon Dykes helped give QPR a 4-0 win over Reading. QPR's fifth win in six games. One could argue that if Lucas Yao had his shooting boots on, then this could have been a different game. But either way, Rangers continue to fly high, Justin. Yeah, it's a really good performance, and we've been saying for a long time, haven't we? Uh, if QPR hit full uh, top gear, they, they'll be very, very, very good. And I think they sort of got to fourth gear here, and they were still brilliant. They were they were really good, and they set their stalls early with the early goal. Um, they were clinical in every department. You look at the cross from Willock for uh, the Dykes header was just sumptuous. It was just it's getting to it. It's it's becoming a joke now how how good Willock is with the ball at his feet. I saw a QPR fan actually on Twitter saying he's, he's reaching. Um, Adele Trapped and Eberechi uh, is a um, levels in terms of ability, which is which is some praise, isn't it? Considering the legendary status um, both of those players have in their own right. So, yeah, QPR were really good. Individuals were brilliant. It's all clicking, um, and it's a good time to have a run of form going into February because this is when the teams that it's a time of year where you know the playoff teams become the playoff teams and the, the automatic runners become the automatic sort of promotion contenders so yeah a really good time of year to, to get the, get the ball rolling I'll steer away from talking about Chris Willock because otherwise barely, we could yeah, be here a for weird. a long time yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'm getting obsessed at this point um, you, you talk about where we're finding out who's going to be in the playoffs who's going to be in the top two how serious do you think QPR's challenge is for the top two right now? They're just two points behind Blackburn. And I have seen a few Blackburn fans saying they think QPR are their main challenges. I mean, there's quite a few teams who are eyeing up the top two, but QPR are right in there, aren't they? You've got to peak at the right time, haven't you? And Blackburn are peaking. QPR are Bournemouth maybe falling away a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think between those three, uh, QPR, Bournemouth and Blackburn, I'd put those three as the main contenders for the top two. And I think it's going to be a very, very interesting February and, and, and March is to see whether who's got the uh, the cojones to, to keep it up because it's a hard thing to do. And it's all about scoring goals, creating chances and making sure you're tight at the back. And at the minute, QPR are doing a very good job of that. Absolutely. I mean, a month about if you asked me a month ago, I'd have said no chance, but it's all looking very real all of a sudden, isn't it? And that's what happens when you get five wins in six games. All they've got to do is just keeping it up. But it's worth pointing out they've strengthened in January as well, haven't they? So mm-hmm. a lot of positives for QPR right now. Not a lot of positives for Reading. Velko Panovic said on BBC Radio Berkshire after the game, apart from the four goals, I thought we played well. I can see what he means, but it's not what you want to hear as a fan and... He doesn't help himself, does he really? Um, because the four goals are quite important in a game of football. So, yeah, defensively, they were a real mess, weren't they? And it is just two points from seven games. They are a shambles on and off the pitch, aren't they? They they are. It's it's quite scary, actually. Um, and you mentioned earlier the likes of Birmingham, Derby, Reading. And it is frightening to see how badly it can spiral for clubs. And I just hope that Reading don't fall into that trap because you know they they had the points record for example for you know one of the best teams in the division um back in 0506 and they they are a good side riding when they when they get things right and as you say it's it's not looking good on and off the pitch um i think with Poundovic he's quite right he, he needs to play the pr game with his post match comments and just read the room a little bit um but i like Poundovic i really do but sometimes you've got to move on um it's it's, it's just not working for him or the club, um, they need to pick up points. They need to, they need to tighten up. That's that's the you know, Sam Allardyce 
point one oh one, you've got to tighten up when you're on a bad run of form, and they're not doing that. They're getting worse. Yeah, well, he had that. You can, you can kind of tell the pressures got to him because he had that press conference. Well, it was more of a after the game interview with the club's Twitter, and it was a very passionate. And he was staring at the camera, saying, "We're going to get the three points or something like that." I can't remember what he said exactly, but it, it, it was clear that he was a man who was feeling the pressure and yeah. he has been making some strange decisions recently the support of the fans has almost gone with him now but doing things like playing Andy Rinomota on the right wing he's a holding midfielder I don't understand what the thinking is there you've got Danny Drinkwater who's been playing every week and he's been poor for quite some time now mm-hmm. I don't think Paunovic has been helped with the players they've got obviously a couple of African Cup of Nations you've got a thin squad and many of them probably won't get a look in in a normal team, normal championship side. But at the same time, he's not helping himself with some of the decisions he's been making. And it's hard to defend him, really, at this point, because Reading are just so poor. Two points from seven games is relegation form, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. I think if you refer back to Derby, if there's ever going to be a a season where a team with a minus 21-point deduction stays up, it's going to be this kind of season, isn't it? Because you've got teams like Reading who are just terrible on and off the pitch um let's have a break justin after that we'll talk about uh huddersfield and stokes draw on friday night which may have had a couple of dodgy refereeing decisions Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. On Friday night, Huddersfield and Stoke drew one all, but it was some questionable refereeing which stole the headlines. I know, in the Championship, who'd have thought? The main one was Josh Cromer's challenge on Taylor Harwood-Bellis. Now, I don't think I'm being overdramatic here, Justin, in saying it's one of the worst challenges I've ever seen. What did Josh Cromer get for it? A yellow? No, of course not. The referee didn't even give a free kick. And then five minutes later, of course, Josh Gromer goes and scores. This was a bit of a shambles once here. I'm going to assume if the referee hasn't even given a free kick, then he hasn't, he hasn't even seen the challenge, which brings about question marks in itself. But my theory is that the fact that Harwood Bellis got up pre- pretty swiftly after the challenge, that also made the referee think nothing's happened. And I mean, fair play to Harwood Bellis for doing so. But either way, I think it will go down as one of the worst challenges I've ever seen and one of the worst refereeing decisions I've ever seen. Honestly, I don't think I'm being overdramatic in saying that. No, that, I mean, this, this referee's got previous, you've got the, the Boris Swansea game from a couple of seasons ago, isn't it? Um, or even last season. It, it, is, it is quite staggering that he, he's managed to top a, a bad a bad decision, uh, one of the worst decisions in that game with this one. It was quite staggering. And again, you can argue a couple of more decisions in this game are, are just as bad in terms of, obviousness as to what they were it really was really bad if, uh, refereeing and um there's not really much else to say about it it's a it's a poor challenge um again so it's it a shocking challenge ones. justin it's yeah, awful. yeah it may i don't usually wince at tackles i've you know i've seen some horrible stuff live play, watching football and playing football i don't usually wince but that one makes me wince because it could have been it could have been horrendous it really could have been and the fact that the referee's not even acknowledged a, um an infringement in that in that scenario is is quite scary really mm. it's endangering players and 
you've got to question the referee's ability to protect them um, and whether or not he's, he's capable of doing it. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. It's one of them where every time I've watched it, it gets worse and worse. And I'm wincing more every time I've seen it. And it's got to the point where I just stopped watching it because it's so nasty. And, and how the referee calls it, I have no idea. Stoke also had a very good penalty shout turned down. There was another tackle in this game which could have been a red in itself. Probably would have been a red if there was VAR. Um, overall, ignoring the crash and ball refereeing, as difficult as it may be, I thought it was a fairly even game point probably a fair result obviously Stoke fans will point to the dodgy dodgy decisions but on the course of play I thought that was the case yeah the the decisions affected this game so much so if you take the decisions out of it and you just look at the game of football it was a very very even game Um, I think Huddersfield dominated the first half they did what they do quite often they didn't capitalise on the domination Stoke got back into the game. They started the second half like a house on fire um, and they pinned Huddersfield back. I think Michael O'Neill, uh, I think the cameras panned to him and he was, I can't remember who he was telling, but he was basically saying, put the ball in the channels um, uh, and we can go from there. And that worked a treat because obviously Huddersfield will play a high line. Um, Stoke got some good players who can run in behind and um, it, it showed. And I think you look at the the equaliser, for example, it came from that scenario. Um, Philogene Bidace, did a really good job of keeping the ball alive and obviously hit the woodwork. And then Jacob Brown's finish was was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Philogene Bidace really impressed me. I thought he it was, was really good. absolutely brilliant. Um, both sides have been challenging for the top six across the course of the season. Um, still very much in the question for Huddersfield. Stoke looking a bit out of touch now, but still not out of the question, I suppose. Um, Peterborough nil, Sheffield United 2. Billy Sharp has now broken the record for the most goals in the Sky Bet Championship, overtaking David Nugent. Um, it, it was always going to be happening at some point, wasn't it? Because he was he's playing regularly for Sheffield United and scoring goals fairly regularly for them as well. But Billy Sharp, where would you rank him in? Best championship strikers ever, Justin? I'd put him in a, a top three. Uh, I think we've we've spoke about Mitrovic being the best ever. You look at his goals to game ratio in the championship, it's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, Billy Sharp, I think, goes in, in that top three for me. He's such a good finisher. Um, and you look at the goal, it actually, is a re- the goal against Peterborough is a very good example of what Billy Sharp does very, very well. It's something out of nothing. The ball lands to him, uh, skewed clearance from Thompson. He chests it down, one touch, two touch, bang, goal. It's it's vintage Billy Sharp and he's made a career scoring goals like that. You've got to be street smart when you're defending against Billy Sharp. You can't give him a sniff. You give him a sniff, he's he's going to take a mile. That's the wrong saying. I'm mixing metaphors again, but you get what I mean. Yeah, he's had a really good season, hasn't he? I don't think many people are expecting him to feature as much as he has done for Sheffield United this season. But he has just been, as always, just doing what Billy Sharp does. Setting up teammates, scoring fairly regularly and he's just had a really solid season um, as solid a season as Billy Sharp has really hasn't it um, I thought Ollie Norwood was amazing in this mm-hmm. game he was just <laughs> dictating play he's not had a good season by his standards but here he was exceptional if, and if we have more of that from Norwood then he'll be just continuing to be as important as he has been for Sheffield United over the past three or four seasons. I thought Conor Huram was really good here as well. It seemed like Sheffield United just needed a bit of time to get back up and running, didn't it, after not playing for a number of weeks because of COVID. But now they're back into the swing of things and could very well be the case that we continue to see the form that we saw before that break, Justin. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. They've got a settled back line. They've got a settled sort of midfield now and 
Um, they still got players to come back into the side as well. So yeah, it is. Yeah, I do feel like we'll see that same Sheffield United again. It was only a couple of games, but they were looking really good in those couple of games. And to play or, or, or pretty much a month without any football, um, it's going to take some time to get back into the swing of things. And they've shown that. But as I say, having a settled team helps and. Uh, getting players back into form, the likes of Billy Sharp, just getting it back up and running. That's what you need. That they're an old bunch as well. You know, that's not a criticism. They are an old group of players. So, getting those minutes back into legs, it takes time, and it looks like they've settled now. Yeah, definitely. Peterborough failing to follow on from that good point away at Birmingham in midweek. They're just two points from safety, but they've had a lot of chances up now, haven't they, to try and make up that gap, but they don't seem to be taking that chance. Hall 2, Swansea nil. Hall's third win on the bounce since being taken over by Akin Ilikali, uh, despite a change in management as well. It seems like Hull is just a really good place to be right now. Yeah, you've got, you've got to credit everybody at the club, I think. Um, it could. It would have been very easy to to criticise um, Hull for sacking Grant McCann um, because of the run of form, but everything seems to have been explained absolutely perfectly. It's understandable, and um, I think that 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 win and the performance as well probably lifts a lot of pressure off Alvaladzi because when that happens, you know, a manager performing pretty well, they get sacked. You've got to hit the ground pretty quickly run it you've got to hit the ground hard pretty quickly and um you know it's, it's a very good performance there's a lot to there's a lot to do there's a lot to go but Ovalad has got time he's going to have new players to integrate into the squad so if this is a, a an example of where Hull are now it's quite it's quite exciting as to where they might be um in a few months time once once new players are bedded in Ovalad has got his ideas across yeah well we were talking weren't we about them having enough of a cushion to <clears throat> have this gamble um, and bringing a new manager is, <coughs> excuse me, it's a twelve-point cushion they've got now on the relegation zone, and you'd be surprised at this stage to see that be made up by the side who are down there. So, as I think you're absolutely right. It was really important that they got three points here to, you know, dispel any fear that they would be, you know, seeing a downturn in form that they have got rid of McCann, George Honeyman, brilliant player, isn't he? He set up the second goal with a delightful cross. And he's just class. He's someone I'm a really big fan of because he has he did miss the first couple of months of the season for injury, didn't he? But since coming in, he's made Hull look a lot stronger. And I'd imagine if I was in charge of recruiting at Hull with the new owner, I'd be looking around the team and thinking, number 10 position? Nah, don't need to strengthen there because Honeyman's probably the first name you put on the team sheet, isn't he? Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Um, he's... I don't know if he's been Hall's player of the season this season just because of the amount of games he's missed, but he's up there, isn't he? He's been really, really good and he's an influential player. He drives the team forward. He's got the quality and he's showing real leadership as well, which I think is really important. And I think when you've got players that come in, so you look at Brandon Fleming, for example, came in, not played very often this season or if at all, was really, really good. And when you've got players coming in, but you've got the, you can rely on the likes of the uh, and the experience of, of George Hunneman, then it's a massive, massive plus. And, you build your team around players like George Honeyman and, and Keen Lewis Potter because of how influential they are. So Hull have got very good bones to, to go from. I think um, Ilicali is a very lucky man. Yeah, Keen Lewis Potter, as you mentioned, scored here. He's been attracting a lot of interest from Premier League clubs and you can see why with his recent form because he has been really, really good. One win in seven games now for Swansea. Russell Martin's had a bit of stick from Swans fans and I can understand why because... <coughs> I don't get his team selection here. They had a centre-back playing right wing-back, a right wing-back playing left wing-back, and a left wing-back playing centre-back. All you've got to do is switch them around and 
you'll have a system which clicks together a lot better. And also worth pointing out, they had Corey Smith playing as an attack in mid, which didn't really make much sense to me either because he's not really that sort of player, is he? Don't get me wrong, I like Russell Martin as a manager. He plays good football and I imagine in long term he will be a success at Swansea. But tactically, he does make the odd strange decision and this was one of those cases right here let's move on Justin Barnsley nil Bournemouth won a really bizarre goal in this Barnsley keeper Brad Collins has come flying out of his goal to try and clear the ball it ends up going out wide to Dominic Solanke who I'd say crosses it in but it's more of a big hoof up in the air, isn't it? And it ends up landing on the head of Phil Billing, who's about three yards out. It's either the best cross ever or just a very lucky boot in that general direction. But nonetheless, Bournemouth got the job done here, didn't they? It's I say got the job done. Barnsley have obviously been that side who you'd want to play when you're struggling for results. But whisper it, Justin, Barnsley were actually all right here, weren't they? They were, they were. You've got to give them a lot of credit, and I think if uh, if they defend that goal better, I think they get something out of the game because Bournemouth are really, really poor. Um, I, I've got to criticise the defenders for that goal because they'd both just stand and watch the ball land on Billings' head. I know Billings about eight foot tall, but come on, you've got to at least make an effort to um, to stop it. But not to take anything away from Barnsley, they were a lot better. They created a lot of chances. They reduced Bournemouth to scraps. It felt like, yeah. The, a lot better. Um, but we've said this before about Barnsley. We said that we saw green shoots when Asbargi first came in and all just seemed to dampen down very quickly. So, yeah, we'll see where they go from here. Um, they've got to they've got to start scoring goals for them to have any chance of even getting above Derby at the moment. Yeah, they're still a way off and I think we're not even going to even discuss the idea of the great escape happening for Barnsley just yet because that's still a long, long way off. And mainly came away from this game thinking a few more question marks for Bournemouth who have obviously been in poor form themselves and getting a win here may do bits for the confidence but in terms of the performance there are definitely still a few question marks over the players and in particular Scott Parker is worth pointing out Gary Cahill was sent off late in the game here for a second yellow as well Preston Drew 2-2 with Bristol City Emil Rhys Jakobsen has now scored more goals in a championship season than any Preston player since 2007, his second goal in particular was simply class, wasn't it? But he has been such a phenomenal signing for Preston, hasn't he? He was. I think it was less than a million they signed him for. And probably only, I think he scored like three goals last season as well. So it took him a while to get going, but you could see there was ability there. He's a good player. He's a hard-working player. He's a threat inside the box. He could take long throw-ins, which I think is really bizarre, but he can. That's a nice little trait for him to have. Um, yeah, he's, he's a very good forward to have in, in your locker, isn't he? And I think Ryan Lowe, when, when, when Ryan Lowe first got the job at Preston, um, he said that he just, you know, he's going to try and hammer um, hammer home scoring more goals is really important for Jakobsen. And, and he's starting to do that. And he's a, he's a very talented player. And as I say, he's got, the lock, he's got it all in the locker. It's just getting it to, to click it all at the same time. So, yeah, credit to Jakobsen. And, and both both goals, first goal, Poach's effort, second goal, spectacular, beautiful. 
Yeah, I, I really like Jakobsen as a player. I did have my question marks at the start of the season who was going to be the goal scorer for Preston and I thought that may still be a position they needed to strengthen. Um, but he's been brilliant, hasn't he? And the fact he has got more goals now than any Preston player in the Championships to, since 2007, considering we just passed halfway in the season, says a lot. But yeah, he, he's been great. And I think Ryan Lowe may be looking at him thinking this is the kind of player that we should build a team around because he is just a really, really good player. He's been a fantastic bit of business. And is full of confidence at the moment and hopefully we'll continue to see him be a consistent goal scorer in the next couple of seasons in a Preston shirt, hopefully, as well. Bristol City, defensively, they're a bit of a mess, aren't they? They've conceded two or more goals in each of their last eight games. 21 goals in total, Justin, in eight games, which is not great, is it? And you wouldn't expect that with A, a Nigel Pearson team, and B, some of the players they've got in their defence, but they're, they're just a bit of a shambles defensively, aren't they? They, they really are. That, that um, The Jakobsen equaliser, it was a very good goal, but the fact that Jakobsen's peeled off the defender, come back three or four yards and hooked his foot round without anyone being touched tight to him it, it is criminal, really. Um, and I think I was, I was speaking to Bristol City fans uh, after the game on Saturday, and I think some of them said that if they'd collected 12 points from the 21 that they've dropped from leading positions, they'd be in the top six. Um if they tighten up defensively just a little bit, they'd be a top half team. It's it's so frustrating. And I'm not putting that down or down to Nigel Pearson. They can be more street smart. They can be more they can be better at managing games. I think that the second goal actually came from them losing the ball high up the pitch um after Preston um and then Preston break away. They can be better in that in in those scenarios. And it's not just because Recently, obviously, they've had a younger starting eleven. It's not just because of that. They've had a, a more experienced eleven um, earlier on in the season. They just got to be better defensively at key times. They switch off too often, um, and you've got to point the finger at individuals rather than the group for that. <clears throat> and finally, Luton nil, Blackburn nil. The most interesting moment in this match was the big melee that happened and saw Henry Lansbury grab Thomas Kaminsky by the little Kaminskys, which was <laughs> interesting. Uh, but Blackburn remain in the top two with this point. Bournemouth and QPR both making up ground, though. And the final game from this weekend is Cardiff against Forest, which is happening as we record this episode. So to give us a full update on how that match ended up, here's Justin from the future. Ooh, this is Justin from the future, and it's good news for Cardiff fans as they marked an end to a poor run of form with a 2-1 win over Nottingham Forest, 2-1 win over promotion chasing Nottingham Forest, who have been one of the form teams in the division. And it really was a routine win for, for Cardiff up until the last couple of minutes where Forest managed to get himself back into the game. Defensively, they were superb. Perry Engie was, was absolutely fantastic. Cody Drama. Tommy Doyle in midfield as well ran the show, um, and they seized the chances when they when they needed to. They forced Scott McKenna into an uncharacteristic mistake with the pressing. Um, Jordan Hugel capitalised on that and scored a goal his first since October, which is massive for him and massive for Cardiff. They need a striker in form, and Isaac Davis got the second goal and ultimately put the game too far, too far out of reach for Nottingham Forest. Um, big win for Cardiff. Poor from Nottingham Forest, weren't really in the game. Obviously, getting a, a, a consolation goal at the end, 93rd minute, was never really going to swing Forest's way. Probably left it a little bit too late for a fight back. But it was just an off day for Forest, and they'll want to put this to bed and, and, and move on from it. Thank you, Justin, from the future. And now it's time for this. Yes, it's time 
for the news and Derby being given <laughs> Derby being given an extra month to provide the EFL with proof of enough funds to see out the season. The governing body says it will give the club's administrators more time to have talks with interested buyers. Thoughts of that, Justin, with your Derby hat on? Uh, well, it's it's good because obviously Derby won't be expelled from the league this month, um, but they could be expelled from the league next month. So buys them a little bit more time. Uh, but it just prolongs the the stress and anxiety fans are facing at the moment. And it is, I, I didn't think I'd be impacted by it as a supporter, but it really does play on your mind. There's a lot of doom scrolling on social media. Um, it's it's not nice. And, you know, if anyone wants to speak out and, and reach out to me and say it's you know, affecting you as well, then, then, then please do. It's, it really is, really is difficult, but it's green shoots amongst what has normally been really crap news. In what has been a bit of good news for Derby, a rare bit of good news. Wayne Rooney's revealed he turned down the chance to be interviewed for the Everton job. He said he's got a job to do at Derby and that's important to him. I did say I didn't think he would get he would go for the job at Everton. Maybe if it was in the summer, it might have been a different story. But nonetheless, Rooney's doing a great job of endearing himself to Derby fans, isn't he? And if he keeps Derby up this season, then he'll have the whole choice of Pride Park to put his statue in. Oh yeah, definitely. I'd help him build it. Um, it's it's quite remarkable, really. Not only the the loyalty that he's um, showing for the football club, but also uh, the sense of leadership as well. Derby have been rudderless for years, uh, and in comes Wayne Rooney, um, showing what what it's all about. And you know, as a safe, if he does keep Derby up, uh, and if he gets Derby through this mess, then his statue level status is absolutely incredible the job that he's doing for the club can't underestimate it well you'll have people in the media who don't watch the championship as much as us Justin and they will say oh yeah Rooney's doing a great job that's obvious to see isn't it but when you take into account other circumstances that don't get talked about as much how crap Derby were last season and how much criticism is being levelled at Rooney for that as well He's turned it around massively and in a normal season, in normal circumstances, you'd say that's very impressive, but it just adds to the job that he's done. He is going to get legendary status if he keeps Derby up. I mean, he's not far off now, even if he doesn't manage to keep Derby up, but he's doing an unbelievable job. The way that he's spoken press conferences as well, in terms of you know having to be this... Um, presence where he's trying to balance things between numerous parties at the same mm-hmm. time he's he speaks really well in interviews he he just gives Derby fans a sense of belief doesn't he that I think many were heading into the season lacking and uh, you can't give enough praise to him for the job that he is doing moving on shot at Alvalade's appointment at Hull is now being confirmed after the, the sacking of Grant McCann got a good start as well the Sun says Bristol City and Cardiff are eyeing up appointing Neil Warnock did you see these reports in the week, Justin? It certainly caught me off guard. Uh, they, they made me laugh because one, Nigel Pearson's not doing a, a bad job at Bristol City to warrant one being sacked and two, not fighting relegation. I'm not going to be sucked into a relegation battle. It's all about transition. Um, and two, Cardiff City have just tried to move away from that approach of uh, bringing in someone to help them steer away from the the bottom three um, they're trying to look at the long term and I think just sacking Morrison and putting Warnock in charge just makes him look so stupid um, yeah I don't know what to think about those it's just bizarre really mm. Birmingham's chairman has released an open letter where he takes the blame for the problems at the club which fans have been protesting about he also promised to have better communication with supporters 
usually when there's unhappy fans and the club releases a statement, it can end up being a terrible move and make things worse. But I actually thought this was quite a good statement as far as statements go. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as statements goes, it was, it was pretty good. But Birmingham City fans don't want statements. They want the ownership out. And I don't think they'll rest until that's done. And, and absolutely fair enough. They, you shouldn't have to get to a point where you're releasing a statement to say that you've been bad at these things. Just don't be bad at those things. And this wouldn't happen. It's as simple as that. So I'm not surprised that Birmingham City fans still want the ownership out. I enjoyed how, because a lot of Birmingham fans have been complaining about how they don't really know who the owners of the club are. When the owner releases a statement, a lot of them replied saying, Who? Um, which I thought was quite funny. In transfer news, there's been quite a bit, hasn't there, with it being right at the end of the window. We'll just focus on the done deals, Justin, and talk about some of the deadline day deals in Thursday's episode. Andy Carroll has joined West Brom on a deal until the end of the season. He was, of course, at Reading on a short-term deal not long ago. We were saying this time last month that West Brom needed a big target man who could finish off the abundance of chances they make, and they're now relying on that man being Andy Carroll, Justin. Yeah, Andy Carroll's had a good run of form. Not prolific by by any means, but if... I mean, Val Ball is absolutely perfect for Carroll, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is. It's Carroll Ball, not Val Ball. And if it clicks, it's going to click. It's going to go very well. But if it doesn't, then Carroll won't score any goals. As simple as that. So they needed a striker. DK's injured and, and Carroll's that man. Hugo's been poor, so I'm not surprised. Could it only be one game where we see Andy Carroll playing Val Ball? <laughs> we'll wait and see on that. Uh, Jordan Hugel, you were just talking about there, has had his loan terminated at West Brom. He's joined Cardiff instead. Also joining him at Cardiff is Alfie Doherty on loan from Stoke. Bit of a weird one, that. Obviously, Cardiff were being linked with getting Ryan Giles back on loan, but Doherty not started a league game for Stoke this season. And honestly, I've forgotten he was there, but it does make more sense than playing Perry and G at right back, I suppose. Birmingham have been busy. They've signed Forest striker Lyle Taylor on loan and former Huddersfield midfielder Juninho Bakuna on a permanent deal from Rangers. Blackburn have signed Aberdeen midfielder Ryan Hedges. Sheffield United midfielder Regan Slater has gone on a permanent deal to Hull. Peterborough have signed Dundee United midfielder Giandro Fuchs. Ex-Norwich defender Tim Closer has gone to Bristol City until the end of the season. Blackpool have brought in Charlton midfielder Charlie Kirk on loan. DiMaggio Wright-Phillips has signed a new two-and-a-half-year contract at Stoke. And finally, João Carvalho has left Forest to go to Olympiacos. He cost them £13 million in 2018, Justin. Never pulled a penny trees in that time and he will go down as a very expensive flop, won't he? Yeah, he will, but... If he's gone to Olympiacos, um, I imagine that they might recoup a fair, fair amount of that fee because obviously the owner owns Forest, owns Olympiacos as well, but that's just speculation. Mm, I have seen a few Derby fans complaining about that, <laughs> but we shall leave that there. Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter to get their thoughts on various bits and pieces to do with the championship. First question we asked was this, Justin? Are Derby staying up, yes or no? Oh, Christ. Oh, you know I'm a half, uh, a glass half full, uh, half empty kind of guy. Can I abstain from this one? I don't want to jinx it, if anything. You can abstain. I'll let you off. Uh, 52% of people said yes, 48% said no. I, th- I think it is 50-50 at the moment, mm. isn't it? It really is. There's seven points from safety. In normal circumstances, you think that's quite far off, but they just look in a lot better state than uh, some of the other teams down there, don't they? Um, will West Brom finish in the top six, yes or no? No. I don't think they will at this current point. I think it depends on who they get in. If they sack Ishmael now and appoint well, 
then I think the playoffs are still very much on. But the way things are going, it's looking very, very bad. Uh, 62% of people said no. 38% said yes. The problem is as well, there's so many teams going for the top six, isn't there? That yeah. We keep saying this, there's only so many teams that can actually finish in the top six. And West Brom at the moment, you'd say, are back at the back of the queue compared to some other teams. And finally, Justin, when you have a meal deal, what do you choose as your snack? Chocolate, crisps, fruit or something else? Um, I, I, it's going to sound really boring. I know you're going to say it sounds boring, but I really do like fruit salad boxes. I think they're a lot better than chocolate and crisps. You lead such an exciting life, don't you, with your fruit salad boxes and service stations? Get over it. <laughs> um, 65% of people said crisps. 22% of people said chocolate. 8% of people said something else. Um, people have suggested ideally a pie or a savoury pastry snack. A, a which I pie understand. with a sandwich. <laughs> I tell you, in some meal deals, they'll give you a massive sausage roll as a snack, which is... Yeah generous said very I tell you I went I had a boots meal deal the other day you can have sushi as the snack which I thought was as a snack yeah outrageous Justin fair play Jeez. to boots they're, they're oh, splashing yeah. out on us um finally five percent of people said fruit uh right now it's time for this hi Simon Grayson Edge Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight African countries represented the most times in the Premier League. And Johnny would say Nigeria. That's one down. And then Cameroon. That's another down. But if Justin would say Sudan, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Obviously, only two of you this week. So it's a bit tricky, but I've made the question one that I believe you should get. Emphasis on should. Um, can you name me the last eight countries to appear at the finals of the World Cup? I think this goes without saying, but if a country has appeared more than once, then that only counts as one. Um, I will put this out, point this out. I was in the pub last night, did this. Nailed it easily. So uh, let, let's see how you both get on, shall we? We'll go to you first, Johnny. Can you name me a country that's appeared at the World Cup? World Cup, what? Just, just, like any in general? Or do you mean like the, the final the of eight? The last eight teams who oh. have been at a World Cup final? Uh, Spain. Absolutely. Spain, the winners in 2010. So that is one down. Justin, you'll go. Uh, France. <laughs> Absolutely. They, of course, won the World Cup. Uh, the last one, that is. It feels like ages ago, that does. Uh, Johnny, you'll go again. Wait, oh, oh Croatia. Croatia, because they played France, didn't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Runners yeah, up yeah. in 2018. Could have been so different if Harry Kane bloody squared it. Uh, Justin, you'll go. You've got five to go. Germany. Absolutely. The winners in 2014. So you're halfway through. Absolutely cruising so far. Johnny, you'll go again. Italy? Mm. Yeah. The winners in 2006, they were the seventh most recent country to appear at a World Cup final. So, Justin, it's your go again. You've got three to go. You should be able to get this, shouldn't you? I should, yeah. I'm trying to think who Germany played in the final, but I can't remember. Mario Goetze scored in 2014, didn't he? But generally can't remember. Um, 2010, who won it in 2010? That's a forgettable World Cup, isn't it? Um, Spain won it in 2010. But who did they play? 
Holland, <gasps> Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, because that yeah. kick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Nigel yeah. de Jong's karate yeah. kick. <laughs> uh, yeah, Holland were the runners-up in 2010. You've got two <laughs> to go, champs. Johnny, you sure go again. Did Argentina get in the final? Am I, like, am I, like, imagining that? Because, like, they didn't play, Ger- play Germany, right? Was that right? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. right. Hey. Runners-up in 2014. It absolutely was Argentina. So you've got one left. Just an issue. Who are they missing? So we've got we've got France, Croatia. Yeah. That was twenty eighteen. You've got the seventh got... most recent. So wait, who, who have we got, Ryan? Who have we got? Because I'm trying to think of <laughs> France, Croatia, Germany, Argentina, Spain, Netherlands, Italy, blank. So it's like who did it, it must is it like who did Italy play? Is that right? Italy yeah. beat Italy beat France because the old. Sedan he- uh, headbutt. I'm gonna, gonna so, have to no, 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 no. Anger, you've taken no, a long no, time. Away. No, I. So we're going back to 2002 now. So it's Brazil. <gasps> yeah, yeah, Korea. It is Brazil. The winners hey! in 2002. So they absolutely cruised for it. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Borat and Derby fans coming together to reunite <laughs> this time in Grayson's hateful eight. We've we've patched over the bruises from the past couple of weeks somewhat um interesting fact for you here can you guess who the next team would have been what the next team what the next to be in like been on this list you go back to you got to 98 90, don't you no you don't i'll tell you no, it was england what? before before 2002 there wasn't another team who appeared at a world cup final prior to the ones that you've just mentioned which have surprised me quite a bit. Jesus, that's a start, that is. Well, that's a start, yeah. yeah. That's one go. for the pub later on, later on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Who says you don't learn stuff on the second tier podcast? So there we go. Another episode rounded up for the weekend. We'll be back again on Thursday because we've got another round of midweek games. Not a full round. It's just a, another partial round full with teams trying to catch up with the COVID outbreaks around Christmas time. But thank you to our guest on the podcast this week, Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely, mate. Have a happy birthday as well. I'm, yeah, I'm I will do. You're spending it all day podcasting, which is exactly <laughs> how you want to spend your birthday. Uh, otherwise, it's been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.